Today, we continue a series of discussions about the basics of Marxism, a method for understanding and changing the world used by many of the activists, organizers, and great revolutionaries in modern history. We'll discuss the Marxist understanding of the real estate market and how the speculative nature of the capitalist market leads to tragedies like the deadly Miami condo collapse. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it, capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to be joined once again by Professor Richard Wolff. He talks to us every Wednesday in our weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Professor Wolf, today we're going to talk about the terrible Surfside condo tower collapse in Miami. It's a Miami area beachfront town of Surfside. Many, many people have been killed, perhaps more than 100. Survivors have not been found since the rescue mission began. The rest of the condo tower has also been demolished because of an approaching summer storm. The president of the Champlain South Towers Condo Association, the one that collapsed, told residents in April that their building was in disrepair and urged them to pay the $15 million in assessments needed to fix structural problems. There were differences of opinion on the board. Some perhaps could not have paid the extra assessment on top of their monthly fee. Finally, the condo building collapsed into a pile of rubble. Richard, we're going to look at the phenomena of condos, real estate speculation, the real estate boom in the 1980s that created Surfside. We're going to talk about the role of housing in the capitalist society. And we also want to talk about alternatives because the current system, which leads to so many problems, hundreds of thousands, millions of people really who are homeless, millions more who are really almost homeless, 
We have so many people who can't afford rent who have to choose between paying the landlord and buying food or medicine for their children. This is a system that is in crisis or at least has created a crisis for millions and tens of millions of working class people. The condo collapse, the Champlain South Towers condo collapse is one issue, one problem, but it's not an anomaly. Let's put this tragedy into context. Okay. The way to do that is, again, as so often, to do a little study of history, very brief. For most of human history, land, the earth, the surface of the earth, was considered to be something that could never be bought or sold, could never be a commodity, could never be something that someone speculated in, buying it at one price and hoping to sell it at a higher price, none of that. And the reasoning, I'll give you an example, in the medieval feudal time in Europe, the reasoning went like this. Human beings did not create the land. The land was there long before human beings arrived. If people were religious, they would say it as God created the land, and it is an arrogance that is downright sinful for human beings to take for themselves as private property something they did not produce, and that was the gift of nature or the gift of God, depending on your point of view. So you couldn't buy five acres of land, you couldn't do it in Florida, you couldn't do it in Italy or Spain or Scandinavia, uh, and this is for many, many centuries. Likewise, it was thought that among the basic things human beings were entitled to as people was food, clothing, and shelter to survive. Shelter, that's your housing, was deemed to be a basic human right. And communities took care of one another. There's a famous story here in the United States of the early pioneers who would move across the prairie and then everyone would get together to build the first house and then put a family in it. And then everybody, including that family, would get to work producing a second house for a second family and so on. When the families did okay and needed a barn, everybody got together to notice. You don't buy a barn. You don't sell a barn. You don't buy a house. This is how a community of human beings takes care of itself and all its members. Capitalism erases all of that. Capitalism converts almost everything into a commodity that can be produced by somebody hiring other people to do the work and then profiting off of the surplus created by those people who produce the housing or anything else. Capitalism even made land an object of commerce, a commodity. And so we come to the modern era in which housing and land, both of them, become things that capitalists, people who use money to make more money, invest in. And let's now follow the logic. The capitalist is the one who hires the workers. The capitalist is a small minority. The workers, the employees, are the vast majority. 
The workers produce the homes, the houses. Capitalists hire them. Housing companies get set up that produce condos, co-ops, individual houses, apartment houses, rental properties, all of it. And why do those capitalists do it? Do they do it to produce a home in which they can live? No. Do they do it to produce something for the community of which they are a part? No. They're in the business, as they themselves will tell you, to make money. They want to spend an amount of money to build the home and then sell it for more money than it cost them to build it. And that difference is the profit that they're in business to get. And so if profit is your goal, then the businessman or woman who, for example, built the Surfside Florida condo, just like the builders who build pretty much everything else in America, are focused on profit. They are not focused on the long-term health, viability, security, structural integrity, or anything else. They're done when they've built the house or the condo and sold it. The act of selling it becomes the moment they lose interest because they're going to take the money they get from selling the house or the condo or the building and reinvest it in producing, you guessed it, another building, hoping to do the same profit generation number two that they did in number one. Well, how do you maximize profit? It's possible that you are an honest, decent, caring human being and you build the house, and you make sure that it is safe, secure, solid. Are there capitalists who work like that? You betcha. But there is a built-in incentive for every capitalist in the housing business to do something else, to cut corners. You know, you can make more profit if you use a cheaper kind of steel rod than the more expensive one. If you buy cheaper cement, if you hire less skilled workers to whom you can pay a lower wage. Capitalists are always looking to cut corners, shave corners, reduce their costs, make less outlays for the thing they're producing, and hopefully charge as much or more than they did in the past, because that's what maximizes their profit, which is what they're in business to get. There are good capitalists who do not succumb to these incentives, but the incentives are there, and the people who respond to those incentives by cutting corners are always also there. Literally, they're created by this way of capitalism organizing the housing industry. And if you don't want houses to be built that can fall down too soon or that can cost the people who live them immense sums to repair them before that ought to be on the agenda, well, then you got to look at a system that incentivizes that kind of shoddy building. And you'll notice in the media coverage of the tragedy in Surfside, Florida, there's almost no attention to the economic system 
that puts between the builder of the home and the people who are living there the incentive not to make the best, safest, solidest home possible, but the incentive to make a profit for the builder who gets no more interest in that project the minute he sold it. And so you can see that this is a system that oughtn't to be used to build housing. Housing is a human need, a social community need. It could and should be built by people who have no other incentive than to produce the best housing possible. And it should be done by people who are responsible for maintaining the household and the homes after they're built so they don't walk away with no interest in what happens. They remain responsible. They remain the ones that the people living in the house can turn to for advice, for help, for compensation if they did a bad job, which of course can happen. But we have a system that goes beyond accidents and goes beyond a mistake. It builds in an incentive, and that is a strange idea. It may be good for capitalism as a system, but it is one lousy way to maintain housing. And let me get at this in another way. One of the ways you would evaluate any economic system slavery, feudalism, ancient villages, modern capitalism, is to ask how well does this system solve the basic needs of the people living in it? And by that I mean, does it protect and secure their health? Does it protect and secure their food, their clothing, and yes, their shelter? Well, let's see. In a capitalist system, where workers are required to buy their home and housing because it's not provided by society, it's not given to them as a human right, it's not provided by the community of which they're a part, as was done in our history as a human species. In capitalism, the worker has to buy it. Okay, and then the adequacy of housing is quickly determined by two things. The price that anybody has to pay for housing and the income that anybody has, which is the basis for what they can afford to buy. In the United States today, we have in effect millions of our fellow citizens who either earn too little or face housing too high priced so that they cannot live in an adequate space. Many of them live on the street. We call them the homeless. But millions more are doubled and tripled up in tiny apartments with friends or family or relatives of one kind of another. Ten people forced to share one bedroom or one bathroom, and on and on and on. Because in our society... We either overcharge for the housing or we underpay people who can't therefore afford it. That's a failure of the system. And the proof of it and the evidence of it is around us all the time. And now here's the last part to lay it out. 
who should be making the decisions about maintaining housing once it's built. Apparently, the media in this country takes it for granted that we look at the condo board, the board elected by the people living in that apartment, that condominium in Surfside, Florida. They made the decision, living in a capitalist society, not earning the kind of money you need to be able to maintain the housing stock that's being built. They hesitated. They didn't want to spend the $15 million. Many of them didn't have what it would take to come up with their share of that. So they hesitated. They delayed. And boy, has it cost them. But I want to point out something else. It shouldn't be the condo board, because they're not the only ones at risk. I'm going to be a little scary now, but I have to, to make the point. There could have been countless children from families that live elsewhere, outside of Surfside or in another part of that community, who might have been friends with a little boy or a little girl that lived in the condo that collapsed, and maybe they were having a, an overnight play date together, and maybe one of those children from somewhere else died wrecking that family's psychological well-being and who knows what else. Into that building came delivery people with food, came repair men and repair women to fix the refrigerator or the clothes dryer or anything else. You know who needs to make a responsible democratic decision about housing? Everybody who could ever set foot in it because they're all at risk. It is patently undemocratic to simply allow a small group of people who happen to be the tenants in the building to make a decision that puts at risk all kinds of other people that are excluded from participating in a decision that could not only influence their life, but could take their life away from them. In other words, housing must be a social phenomena, a social asset, a social project. Because if you don't, you deny democracy. You deny all the people entering and leaving any structure in Florida or anywhere else from having some say, which they could have through a social housing program, making sure not just for the people in the building, but for everyone visiting, repairing, delivering, or anything else, that they're safe, which is the first responsibility of any society. Let me conclude by letting you know about a place in the world right now that has done exactly what I just said. The place is Austria, a country in the middle of Europe. And the place within Austria is its capital city, Vienna a beautiful old European city. About a hundred years ago, the government of Vienna was captured by the Socialist Party of Austria. And one of the things the elected Socialist 
leaders did was deal with housing. And to make a long story short, today, as I'm speaking, half of the housing in Vienna, one half of all the apartments, Vienna is a city of millions, huge city, half of the apartments are either owned by the city government or are owned by a partnership between private real estate investors and the city. That's half the people live in social housing created by a socialist government. Over the last hundred years, all kinds of capitalist interests have tried to undo this. They've all failed. Even the most right-wing fascistic governments in Austria could not shake it. You know why? Because the people of Vienna love it. Those housing projects are beautiful. I visited them repeatedly. They're wonderful demonstrations of what a social housing program will be. Here's some of their rules. Nobody is ever evicted. They work with you to come up with a payment plan. Nobody's rent can exceed 20 to 25% of their annual income. No matter how low your income goes, you keep your housing. The housing is a commitment of the community. It is a remarkable experiment, a hundred years old, a stunning success. That's how we ought to run our housing. And Florida is now about to learn that lesson in a really difficult way. Why? Because Florida's life as an economy is about housing projects about people who live in colder parts of the United States, particularly when they get older, moving to Florida. Tourism and the visitors and the housing, that's their economy. And if that begins to crumble, if this condo turns out to be the canary in the mine that tells you what's coming, if people around the country realize visiting someone in Florida is a very risky business, you're going to see an economy go south in a very, very fast way. And I don't mean south as a geographic designation. So the life of the housing industry in this country is now at stake. That's why you're seeing so many efforts not to face what this means, not to see the critique of capitalism and of private property that this tragedy should be teaching us. And it's very important that conversations like this one on programs like this one begin to make sure that these dimensions of the problem don't get swept under the rug until we have the next catastrophe and the next one, because they're as surely waiting for us as we can now see, this was a problem just waiting to explode. Indeed it was, Richard. And I think that the points that you're making, that the tragedy, the crisis caused by the failure to repair a building that was already built in a way that really didn't put safety and security at the top of the priority list, Again, this was during the entire speculation boom in the 1980s. 
following the recession that took place between 1979 and 1982. There was a boom. The so-called upside of capitalism led to the creation of a housing boom in Miami, especially in Miami Beach, where Surfside is. And Miami Beach, too, is literally sinking. So, you know, in addition to the failure to construct the building properly or the failure or the inability of the condo board to make the necessary repairs, we also have the confluence of the factor of climate change. And in so many areas on the East Coast, the West Coast, the Gulf Coast, all of these issues are going to become you know, vast social issues, even if we still have private housing. I want to just take another angle on this. I'm here in Western New York in the Finger Lakes, where climate change is having you know, a profound impact. And the inhabitants here were the Iroquois Indians, the Iroquois Confederation. And when you looked out, as I am looking out over Cuca Lake, or Canadagua Lake, or Cayuga Lake, lakes with the names assigned to them from the indigenous inhabitants, the idea that someone would own the lake or own a piece of the lake, this was completely you know, unintelligible to the original inhabitants who had been here for thousands of years because the idea of private property just wouldn't possibly come into their conception or their consciousness because they lived a shared existence. They either ate together or they starved together. There wasn't private property. Maybe in the late stages of the Iroquois Confederation, as European settlement came in, there were some elements of private property, but this was a concept associated with a social system. And the reason I'm making the point is that if you took sort of a long view of human history and marked it back tens of thousands of years, the period of time in which people would think of all of these issues, shelter, clothing, you name it, as a private affair or private property or able to be purchased from a private owner, say, of the owner of the land. These would be concepts that would have existed only for a few seconds if you looked at the existence of the human family as a historical continuum for a 24-hour period. The time in which we thought of these things as private property is a very, very small portion of that 24 hours. And yet people are taught in the United States that private property or personal greed that is associated with private property is human nature and that we've constructed a social system that's based on human nature. But if you look at the history of human beings, you can see their nature for at least a big part of this continuum is the opposite of private property. So when we talk about Vienna, Austria or other experiments with social housing, And again, social housing in Vienna is not like public housing in the United States. Public housing was constructed as segregated housing for very, very low income people. Social housing brings people of all income strata together. It's not designed as a place to house or warehouse the poor. It's a model for all of society. It conforms with what human beings have always thought about when they think about housing up until the last couple hundred years, which is that we should be sharing, we should be living in cooperation, and it shouldn't be all about me or I, it should be about us and we. Yeah, and you know, the irony is 
the short-sightedness of the capitalist incentive. If it turns out, and we don't know the result yet, but if it turns out that the builder of that building that fell down did cut corners, did make decisions that may have been profitable but were not good for the long-term health and stability of that building, then that person may have helped his or her company's builder profits but will damage the profits of all the other builders, including all the capitalists who've invested money in Florida and will now see people deciding to leave their condos because they are worried about their safety and that of their families. People who might have moved to Florida in the next few years thinking about going somewhere else or maybe staying put. The long-term effects, especially for Florida, indicate that even if they had had just the long-term profits of capitalist housing in mind, they would never have done this. But the system is so set up that you have to show a profit. If you're a builder and you have your shares on the stock market, you can't show a long-term profit. You got to show a profit now and in the next quarter and in the next quarter or else your stocks will be sold and the value of your company will deteriorate and your suppliers will demand payment sooner. I mean, the whole system is built around the bottom line and that's profit. And here's a fundamental question. For something as important as your home, the safety for you and your families to live, to eat, to sleep, to interact with one another in a safe way, why would any rational community allow the people who build the housing to have an altogether different objective, namely profit? Why do we allow a profit system to interject, to intersperse profit between those who make the things we need and we as we use and live with the things we need. We shouldn't have that kind of middleman, if you like. We should organize a society where we as a community produce what we as a community consume. Nobody should get in the middle of that. What's produced should be done by the people who will consume it because they're not going to cut corners for safety if the system doesn't incentivize that to be done. And the tenants would never produce it because they don't want to be faced with expensive repairs down the road that could have been avoided if only their first priority was housing and not profitability. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow with The Real Story. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. 
Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.